and about up till now. We're going to talk about some of that this morning. But before we do that, two weeks ago, um, I made a little mistake uh, in, mo- in the morning, which didn't really affect your life whatsoever, um, but it affected my life like on a daily basis. Um, I'll tell you why. Um, because two weeks ago, I told you that my parents had been married almost 40 years. I knew two sentences later that I was wrong on that. I just didn't know how to go back to that point of the, of the message. Um, so actually, my parents are here. So last Sunday, will you guys stand up? So, yeah, I know you don't like that. but so. And <laughs> since they had me when I was eight years old, or excuse me, didn't have me. Since they were eight years married when they had me, um, that would make them almost 50 years married uh, this coming summer. So I want to make that public <laughs> confession. So, all right. But they're flying back to, to Arizona uh, this week, so I, I need to make sure I corrected that for you. Um, no, for me, for my sake. I need to correct that. So, um, well, it is the new year, and I, I've made some resolutions, like you've probably made uh, some resolutions, um, really things that, you know, I can accomplish. Uh, I'm, I resolve to wear more blue. Uh, and I'm going to overcome my fear of public speaking this year as well. So I am, I'm in good shape. I'm well on my way. I hope you are uh, as well uh, this morning. So it's a kind of a two-part uh, sermon. This week and next week is kind of a two-parter. Uh, and next week, I would say it's like the exclamation point, and this week is the content, or this is the sentence. Next week's exclamation point to the sentence. So um, next week will be... Uh, we're calling it the most unamazing service because it will be unique. It'll be different. There'll be nothing exciting about next week's service. No wow, nothing, but the most important service that you'll be at. So hopefully that's somewhat intriguing. That's the teaser, you know, as they go in the marketing world. So uh, we also have uh, a gift for everyone that we want to give you next week. Now, this is not like a little trinket, like, you know, a McDonald's Happy Meal toy type of thing. I mean, this is a significant gift uh, that we want to give you next week as part of the service. So uh, next week, please make sure you mark it. We're saying everyone who calls Windover Hills their home, this is an important, the most important to start the year Sunday to be at next Sunday morning. So we're calling it What Matters, and let me tell you why. Because here's the question. What matters in life? What matters to you? You probably could list a lot of things. Some stuff popped in your head right away. But think about it from a church perspective this morning. What really matters this morning? Now, you can say the right church answers, which I'm sure you probably did. You know, Jesus Christ matters. Family matters. Praying for one of those type of things. Um, but what if I said, you know, that is right. Let's get rid of that screen then so you can't see the words or the Bible verses that we walk through. We'll get rid of the music, and we'll just acapella it this morning. We'll get rid of the chairs, and you can just sit on the floor. We can stand. Um, let's just get rid of the whole building. Why pay the rent for the building? We'll just meet out in the parking lot, and we'll do that uh, in Indian style out in the parking lot. Um, when you start to really think about taking stuff away, you start to think about what the real answer to what matters is. Now apply it to your life. What really matters in your life? Think about it in terms of it wasn't there if you stripped it away, the things that really, really matter. That's as far as we're going with that question this morning. We'll dive into that with the exclamation point of it next week. But you can process that on your own this week. Let me pray for you, and then I want to walk through uh, this, this question of New Year's resolutions. Let's pray. Father, I would guess everyone in here, or most in here, have at some point in the last few days, they've said, yeah, I'm going to make this change. 
I'm going to start doing this, I'm going to stop doing this. And they've put it into play in their life. For some, it hasn't lasted. We're on the fourth day, and it's just, it's just not there anymore. And for others, there's strong resolve, and it's continuing on. But Father, what do you want for Windover Hills? That's what I pray you would speak to us about as we walk through this passage this morning. We pray in your son's name. Amen. So that's the question. What does God want for our church? What does he want for Windover Hills? If, if we imagine for a second we were one person, collectively, all of us were one, which really we are, that's what we're taught in God's word, that we're one, we're one body, the body of Christ. What does God want for us? What would be like a resolution for us if he put that on us as a oneness, as a church, that type of resolve? Here's what God says about plans that we put into place in our lives. In Jeremiah, one of the most popular verses about plans in our lives. For God, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. That's a significant verse and one that you might want to memorize if you're not as familiar with this. That God has good plans for your life. It's like God coming in and saying, look, I want this for you, and you know, I want this, and it's, it's good. It will be good for you in the end, even if it's hard to get there. I, he's saying, you've got to trust me on this plan here, because it's good for you. Now, parents, we understand this a lot, because sometimes we want our kids to do things that they don't want to do, and we know in the end it's for their good. That's all that God is saying here. Put it into perspective of a church as a whole. That God is saying, look, I have a plan for Windover Hills Church. I have a plan for my body of believers that meet here at this location, at this address. And it is a plan for good. And sometimes that plan for good, it's a push and it's a challenge to you. And sometimes you don't even like walking through it, but it is for good. And it will bring hope and joy to people and to ourselves that's what we're talking about this morning. So here's the passage that, that's happening in the book of Acts, and let me lead up to it before I read it. You see, what's happened is Jesus has been crucified, right? And then he raises from the dead. And then he appears to people over the course of about 40 days, um, and he talks to different people. At one setting, we heard 500 people to his disciples. Um, and so he is, he's well seen there. And then we get to this point at the beginning of the book of Acts, which is the second book that Luke writes to a guy named Theophilus, who is a non-Christian, probably about a governor-level person that he's writing this letter to, to tell him all about Jesus. And when he writes this second letter here, the book of Luke and now the book of Acts, he starts it off by sharing that the disciples, they're actually with Jesus, and Jesus is talking to them. And Jesus' main message, you remember in a famous verse where he says, you know, just, you just wait till the Holy Spirit comes, and when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to have this power, and you're going to go do things that you haven't even quite seen yet. And then Jesus is gone. He vanishes. Up into heaven, right? And it's a wonderful line. The angels that are there, they say, hey, why are you staring at the clouds? Don't you know he's going to come the same way that he went? They're basically, the angels are saying, hey, why are you staring? Get to work at what he just said. So they go and they're hanging out in the upper room or in this, this fellowship room, as, as Jesus said, just stay in this area. And then we find in, in Acts chapter 2 at the beginning, this sound like a rushing wind comes into the room. And the next thing we know, these guys are preaching in other languages. It's an important festival that's going on in Jerusalem at the time. And so there's people from all over different cultures speaking all kinds of languages. So in an instant, 
God's plan was, I'm going to make you who don't know this language now speak this language, and you're going to go out in the streets, and you're going to proclaim the word, and guess what? Somebody who is in town, who otherwise wouldn't understand you, is now going to understand you, and they're going to hear about Jesus Christ in their native tongue. Now they're going to go back to their own country, and just like that, boom, the gospel is spread. That's God's plan. That's what happens at the beginning of the book of Acts. And then we get to this point where Peter stands up and he starts to preach. You remember Peter, one of the prominent disciples? Peter will jump before he ever thinks. That's the description of Peter. But now God's going to use him in this mighty way. He's going to use this enthusiasm to the hilt because Peter just jumps out and starts preaching this message. Now, if you're one of those people that like teacher style, that like to break down structure and grammar and all that kind of stuff, things that, you know, like I don't really even understand, if you like doing that kind of thing, then you would look at Peter's sermon here and you would go, wait, this is a totally uneducated guy? Yeah, totally uneducated, and yet he puts together this just well-versed sermon that he's teaching power of the Holy Spirit in his life, speaking God's word. And of course, somebody says, hey, these guys are crazy. They're, they're just drunk, is what that, it actually says that in God's word. And Peter just keeps on preaching. Here's the end of that message. When people heard the message and their heart was so stirred, they knew they needed to do something. And here's where we pick it up end of verse 37. It's in your notes this morning if you want to follow along. If you didn't get a notes, if you happen to get in here, just you can slip up your hand now. Richard will uh, bring you one now so that you can uh, have some sermon notes. Here's what it says, end of verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing and meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I want to walk through this passage, and I want to talk about what we're calling just four Windover Hills resolutions. Now, some of you might say, well, that's not really a resolution. I do that already. Wonderful. Keep it up. Keep going. Inspire somebody else in the church to rise up and do this as well. But here's what the danger. If you're already doing this, this is not the time for you to say, well, I'm doing it. Why aren't they doing it? We're talking about a resolution as a collective whole, as a oneness, as a church that meets at this address. What does the Lord want out of us. And so these are our resolutions that we want to walk through as we start off this two-week series. Here's the first one. Reaching those far from God. 
It's a resolution to say we're going to be about reaching those far from God. That is so significant that the message of God is shared by the people of God. That's how God works. And I would guess that God, if he wanted, he could come down and do some incredible campaigns. He could put together some phenomenal movies that would go in the theaters and and, uh, billboards and everything else. Maybe he could just dominate social media. But that's not how God chooses to work. God chooses to use you and I in relationship with one another to share his word. It means the people you work with, the people that you are neighbors with, the people in your family, that's how he has called us to share his word with one another. Now, Peter is sharing this. We, we heard Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter is standing and he is preaching and sharing God's word. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but Peter was like a preacher. I mean, he was like, he was like, you know, pastor type, and those pastor types, they're called to get up on stage and speak longer than we want them to really speak, and, and that, I mean, that's kind of what they do. Not so. Peter was not a preacher type whatsoever. He was a fisherman, and we get the glimpse that he was just, he was just a guy that was, that was fishing that would not have been called by too many other people into too many prominent positions, certainly not speaking prominent positions. And Jesus comes by and says, hey, you, why don't you follow me? And Peter said, okay, I'll do it. And Peter followed. So what was the key to Peter being able to stand up and preach the word of God? His decision to follow Jesus. That was his key. If you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I don't, I don't have the gifting in this area. I can't play the keyboard or sing or stand up in front of people and talk. Uh, I don't know how to do any of that stuff. God says, okay, so what? Just follow me. I will make something of you. And you'll have a kingdom impact to share with people who are far from God just because you are who you are and you let me work through you. That's all that happened to Peter. Sometimes when you read this speech here that Peter gave this sermon, you think, wow, Peter, amazing evangelist. But you've got to look back three years before, and you've got to look back at what Jesus started with, with Peter here. The key, though, is to find in, the, in this is that Peter had a passion to reach people who were far from God. I want you to get a picture here. I want you to get a picture that I saw a long, long time ago of a dock with a bunch of people on a dock, and there's people in the water around the dock, and the people around in the water are drowning. Now, you know what it looks like when you're trying to gasping for air and you're going under. You've seen it in movies and things like that. Now, picture the people on the dock are just holding hands around one another, faces inward in a circle, having a real good time with one another. That sometimes, if we're not careful, can be the picture of the church that we really enjoy the family. We really enjoy being together and loving one another and singing songs and those type of things. And it's vitally important. But we forget about those around us in our world that are really being drowned out, that are hurting, that are lost in our world and who need Jesus Christ. And the true picture is that we've got, we've got to turn and face outward and see what's going on and reach people who are far from God. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. These are Paul's words, uh, who much of the book of Acts is about. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to, to 
bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. What's Paul really saying there? He's not saying, I I try to preach a real strong message. I try to just sing such a beautiful song that they'll be inspired and moved and then surrender. He says, no, I just try to become like them. I just try to have relationship with them. I try to share with them and be with them and then talk to them about Christ. Every single one of us can do that. Here's the, the resolve, is that we would be about reaching people far from God. I was attracted to Wendover Hills to come here and to try to serve as your pastor because you had a passion for reaching people. Because I heard people's testimonies who had been in the drug culture and recovery world, all this type of stuff, and yet had come to know Jesus through this church, or this church had embraced them after they came to know Jesus, and they found a home here that they were welcomed and cared for right here at this church. We've got to keep that going. We've got to keep sharing Jesus with people far from God. Here's my personal resolution. You can join me in it. Is that I would just invite one person a week to church. Uh, that I just, I just invite somebody to come and to experience here. Now, you might be really good at sitting and talking to them about Jesus outside of church as well. Wonderful. Keep going with that. This is not like the magical place for it. It can be anywhere. But just resolve that one, week, one, one time a week, I'm going to have a connection with somebody. I'm going to say, hey, what are you doing this Sunday? Why don't you come along and we'll grab lunch afterwards. And you can, make, can join me in that or have your own resolve, but we have to be about reaching people far from God. Wendover Hills, resolution statement number one. Here's the second one, is that we'd serve those disheartened by life. I would guess that every single one of you, at some point in your life, you would say, I'm just so disheartened right now. And now think about those who maybe cared for you or served you during that time. That's what we want to be as a church, a church that cares and serves people when the circumstances of life are just so great. Here's what uh, the passage we're reading this morning says, Acts chapter 2, verse 45 here. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now you may say, well, that's good. That's very nice of them to do. What's the big deal, Tom? Here's the big deal. Do you know what happened when these people became Christians at this time? when they said yes to Jesus Christ? It wasn't like, you know, you and I, when we said yes to Jesus Christ, you know, we just, we started living a Christian life and got plugged into a church. These people were disowned by their families. They were ostracized by society. When you grow up in this strong, strong, uh, this, this Jewish culture, a, a religious culture world where they're looking for the Messiah and they're waiting on the Messiah and they claim the verses of the Old Testament all the way up, and now somebody's saying, this is the Messiah, and you are saying, I'm on board, and they're saying, I'm not on board. There was a big problem here. Do you remember the lady who was taken uh, from committing adultery, and she was pulled, and she was going to be stoned to death before Jesus stopped it? Well, that's a bad sin, right? Adultery in, in God's word. We walk through it in the Ten Commandments when we walk through it, right? Well, let me tell you about a worse sin in in this Jewish religious culture. The worst sin was blasphemy of God. Claiming Jesus as Messiah was considered blasphemy. It's automatic death penalty according to the Old Testament if you blasphemed God. And so you could see when these people became Christians, it wasn't just like, well, good for you. You have to find your own way. Whatever works for you. We say those things in our culture today. This was immediately like, we don't have anything to do with you. You're done. You're out of this house. Your inheritance is gone. You're not getting it if you were one of the sons. 
That's what they dealt with. So now read the verse and think about it. When they said that they sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need, they were all in need. They had nothing. Many of them, no homes, no food, no source of income. And so they cared for one another. Talk about being disheartened by the circumstances of life. They had to be cared for in that way. And guess what? The church rose up and did that for one another. You know, uh, today we complain sometimes about uh, our welfare system or who gets on it, who doesn't get on it, how much money is spent, how many people are on it compared to how many were on it before. And I think that there's a lot of areas for some strong critique. Let me say that. But often we close out that critique session by what's well, really the job of the church and the Christians to do that. Agreed. Let's do it then. Let's do it. Let's actually do it. Let's not just use it as a complaint on our government or on a, on a legal system or whatever that's, that's putting this in place. Let's, as a church, actually rise up and do it to care for one another. You hear somebody's in need, then empty the pantry and, sh- and send it their way. If, if it's lot 2540 and we can fill, I mean, 15 boxes is a pretty low, low goal in my opinion. I mean, we should fill 15 or more every month so that a, a family has food for a week or so. Easy. When we hear it, we just do it. Why? Because one of our resolutions is that we will, we will serve those that are disheartened by life. And you deal with it on a lot of different areas because you have relationships. And you can't have relationships and not... No people that are disheartened. Here's what Jesus says at this time when the disciples, they have been discipled and built into, and then Jesus says, okay, now, go out and do it at other places. And this is what Jesus tells them. Matthew chapter 10. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those from leprosy, and cast out demons. How about that this morning, if uh, disheartened by life, if I didn't say, you know, fill a box at lot 2540, but I said, okay, now you need to go out and you need to start healing the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and uh, cast out demons. You know, who's with me? Let's go. That's what Jesus' model of serving those disheartened by life was. He sent them out to do that type of thing. But here's the crazy thing. When they got back from this journey... They could not wait to tell Jesus about the stories and the testimonies of what had happened, where they went, and where they did exactly what Jesus called them to do. Do you have any stories like that? Do you have any stories when you served the disheartened in this, in this world, when you did something for someone else? I'm not talking about bragging stories. None of us need to hear those. I'm talking about times where God just blessed your life because you got to be a part of serving somebody who was disheartened, who just downtrodden by the struggles of life. Can I say one final thing on this one? Do not disqualify caring for the disheartened because you simply can say they brought it on themselves. It was their own decision. Granted, you might have to take different care so they don't just do the same thing again. But who among us has not made a poor decision that caused your life to be disheartened? Just care for people that are in need of care. It's our second resolution for 2015. Number three, it says, move forward and surrender to God. Move forward. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 2, the passage we're walking through. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. There's so much packed into that verse right there, and that could be a whole sermon series, and we won't walk through too much. But you can see how they devoted themselves to learning more about God and growing in their Christian walk. 
There's great passages in, in the Bible about uh, where we should be in our Christian walk, but we're not quite there yet. Like a passage says we should be eating meat is the metaphor, but we're still drinking milk. Um, and this is, this is a passage that at the very beginning of the launch of the church, we find that there was this devotion to learning more about God. And there's this devotion to hear that some of the disciplines of the faith as well. All the believers were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what does this mean here? They didn't have Bibles in their hand quite like you and I have Bibles in our hand or on our app. Uh, they didn't have those type of things available uh, to them. They came and they listened to the apostles. They're, they're teaching about God's word, which meant what? They didn't do it on the online service on Sunday morning as they, they sit at their house. They, they went to this location. Like you and I, we, they go to church. They would go to church and they would listen to the teaching and they would grow and gain in that. We find that they, they fellowship. They, they spent time with one another. They let each other's lives rub off on one another. They mentored for one another. They discipled for one another. That all goes in to spending time. They shared in meals together. There's something about the community of sharing a meal that's much, much deeper than just hanging out together, sharing, including the Lord's Supper as well. They recognized that that act of sharing in the Lord's Supper was central to their faith, even as early as this time, and of course to prayer. That they actually believed that if they had something in need or if they needed to talk to God, that they could actually pray and they could speak with God and they could actually put their petitions to God and ask for things like healing and such. And they put that in at a very early time, surrendering to God. You know, at the core of our growth in our Christian life, the core responsibility is on each of us to put ourselves in a position where we can hear from God and grow from God. And we talked about those things. I would love to give you like a modern day, 2015 cutting edge form of growing in your Christian walk. It doesn't really exist. Getting into God's Word, like the Apostles' teaching, getting in there and reading and hearing God's Word, staying connected with the fellowship of God, even on days when it's not going so well in your life and you don't want one more person asking you how it's going, it's connecting with the fellowship of believers so they can care for you. It's sharing together. It's in the Lord's Supper, it's doing the disciplines of the faith regularly. And by all means, we've got to keep praying to God. We've got to keep praying. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament of praying for three years? Three years? And, and yet it didn't... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just throwing the story right out of my head as I share it there. Um, praying for the rain to not come for three years, and it just and it, it didn't come. And a consistent and consistent and consistent prayer. Sometimes I, I think that that's what it is for our own lives, is we pray... And it doesn't quite happen, or at least not the way we hope to happen, and we're done. Like a one-time shot on that prayer. And when you keep praying. Here's what it says in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's part of the Beatitudes, this famous sermon that Jesus writes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is an interesting word right there, and some of your translations might say they thirst and hunger for justice. It's a word that in the Greek that doesn't quite perfectly translate into either righteousness or justice. It's a little bit of a, a go-between word because it talks about justice as in God being right and righteous and everything he does is just. 
And so it's an interesting little word, and that's why your translations don't uh, often agree on which word they put in. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for this type of righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the way God sees the world as right and just, for they will be filled. It's like thirsting and wanting to see things the way God is seeing things. And so Jesus speaks these, and these people will be filled, is what we find here. Here's a resolution uh, that I put in place for me, maybe you want to join me this year, and that's just reading through the Bible this year reading through the whole Bible, but doing it with note-taking as well, meaning those interesting things. I'm not a good journaler, maybe you're not either, but taking those notes on those things. And for me personally, it's trying to take notes without trying to write sermons on those notes, meaning, well, this would be really good, and I'm going to write three sermons out, and this would be really good for this person. No, I don't think that way. But, uh, but just writing out without a sermon, but just writing notes and marking important things as I work through it. The number three resolution. Here, finally, four, the fourth resolution. And that is that we have to fund the mission of the church. To fund the mission of the church. Here's what it says. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. What we find at the beginning of the church here is that they were incredibly generous with their giving. We already talked about them selling their possessions and helping anyone in need. And we find here that they were doing all this with great generosity, meaning that generosity and giving was at the core of their thinking and why they did what they were doing. It would stand to reason that the monetary side of that was part of that generosity and caring for one another in what they did. And so they funded the mission of the church is basically what happened there. Now, I would love to tell you that we have just a couple kind of, you know, quote-unquote cash cows in the church that they can, they can pay it, and, you know, you, you just come and enjoy it and, and that type of thing, and they'll, they'll take care of the bill at the end. But, you know, God never designed that from the very beginning. From the very beginning, God said, not here's the fee you need to pay, it's here's the percentage. And so it's different, it's different amount, same same blessing, same discipline that God gives for every single person to say, this is my system. You just, you just benefit, or you just give in. You just contribute in this way, and it funds the mission of the church. And he started that from the very beginning. We know it as a, as a tithe, a 10% tithe that we give to the church, and it helps fund the mission of the church. What's the mission of the church? What's everything we've talked about? It's everything you see when you drop your kids off. It's your, it's your staffing. It's meeting in a building like this, which is, a, is an incredibly financial, frugal operation here as far as meeting here. It's going out and serving people. It's when, when we've given to a family who's in need. It's all that kind of stuff that works off of those type of things. It's the missions that we support. It's our Christian colleges that we give money to and support as well. All of that collectively into one goes in to that tithe we're talking about. It's funding the mission of the church, which allows us to do what we're doing. I was listening yesterday um, to the lead-in to the Carolina, the Panther and Cardinal game yesterday. And it was a call-in show because I was listening on the radio as I was riding in the car. And on the call-in show, one of the callers, 
who I assume was just somebody at their house calling in, said uh, something about the challenge that was before us in the game. And he said, I, I really think we're up to this challenge today. I really think we're, we've got this and this. And, and it's the we that kind of grabbed me because I was thinking, um, what exactly was the we doing in his house to accomplish any of that? And I understand. I say the same thing about my teams. But, but in the terms that he was talking, I was thinking about, was the we at the seven-hour practices or the work-throughs at the weight training session? Or does the we put it on the same diet program that, you know, that the, the guys on the field? Is, did the we start you know, months ahead of the season working out and trying hard just to make the team? And on and on, everything that goes into that. Is a we getting pounded by a 300-pound person running at you that's putting you into the mud? The we, I understand the identification of with your team, but it was an interesting thing because sometimes in the church we function that way. It's the we. It's the we. Oh, I love that they do that. I love that we do this. I love that this and I love that. But it's not exactly a we because we fail to ever contribute and fund the mission and work into the mission on that side of it. It's part of the whole deal here in funding the mission of the church and the blessing that comes with it. Here's what Matthew, what it says in Matthew 6. It says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Start with the end and find the desires of your heart. What do you want? What do you want? That's where your treasure is. That's what Matthew said. I don't like that verse because when I start with the end and I trace backwards, I don't always like what the treasure of my heart looks like when I look at that. I want the treasure of my heart to be seeing people come to know the Lord that are far from God. I want to see those disheartened by life to receive recovery and wholeness as we prayed about other words. I want to see people like yourself and me that are surrendering more and more to God that are being discipled more and more to do his work and to be about what he's about. And if that's my treasure, then I'm willing to fund that treasure as well. I'm willing to, to surrender my gifts my time, my money towards that mission. But when I start with the end, I don't always like what treasure it reveals in the end. How about you as well? I really think in, in our life, in our family, we could look and find a way to give away even five more percent of our income over the year to God's purposes above the tithe, five more percent to give away. I don't know how right now because I know what the budget looks like and you know what your budget looks like, but I but I feel a, a compulsion in these resolutions on a personal level as well. Here's the clincher in, at the end of these. It's in the very last verse this morning. It says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Each day the Lord added those who were being saved. Why do we do any of this? We do it because there's people who are far from God that need to know about Jesus Christ. We don't do it because we need a place to come and fellowship. We do. But the core at the end is because there's people that are far from God that need to come to know God. And in this passage, with the disciples and the early church doing these things, people came to know Jesus. They came to know him. And that's really, overall, that's our goal and our resolve here at Wendover Hills. Reach people far from God. Serve those disheartened. Keep growing and surrender in our own. Fund the mission of, of accomplishing all those things. Why? So that people would come to know the Lord. And the Lord would daily add to our fellowship and to what's going on here through testimony. I've told you before that somewhere around 80% of church growth is transfer growth. 
It's something happened at this church, you moved on to this church. This church opened, it was much cooler and more trendy, so you moved over to this church. It's that type of movement. Most church growth happens that way. I don't have any interest in that. I know some people might come from other churches that can really plug into the mission of what we're doing, but we don't just need seat dwellers. Um, Wendover Hills doesn't need to be about, about that. We want to be about the resolve of what we've talked about this morning. And out of that, we will see people come to know the Lord who will be discipled and grow up in their faith and be as plugged in and active here as you are. And they'll do it through testimony of what God did in their life. That's what we're, we're praying for. So that's our resolve. That's our Wendover Hills resolutions. This is the opening of the two-part. Next week, I would say, is our, like I said, our exclamation point. This is the content. And so really, next week... Uh, this is the week to be here and to make sure you're part of this. The most unamazing service is what we're calling it. What matters is the title of the service. And so I pray you would plug in. If you have somebody that uh, you know is part of our church, you didn't see them this week, you get on them and say next week, important service to be at as we continue this in our resolutions. Let me pray for you on this, and we're going to take our tithes and offerings this morning. Father, thank you for your word and and your resolve. And thank you that, uh, Father, you put things in our head that we could do differently. But Lord, we collectively as a church, Lord, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to be about. We want to be about reaching people. We want to be about serving people and caring for people. We want to be about knowing more and more about you, Lord. And we're willing, Lord, to be challenged and pushed, even in the funding of the mission, um, as we claim your word and what your word asks us to do. And so, Lord, be with us this week. You might right away give us opportunities to share. We might already have names in our head of people that we can speak to you about or offer an invite or just serve them because we know they're hurting in life right now. Lord, it might be something you're calling us to in our own personal discipleship that we've just been pushing off and saying, I'm not interested. That takes time out of my day. Whatever it is, Lord, challenge us to surrender to those things that we might grow and learn more about you. Be with us the rest of this day, Lord. Whatever we're into today, Lord, may we be a blessing to your name. We pray in your son's name. Amen.